Thanks for joining us for another inspiring message from Alive Church, Orange County. To find out more information about Alive Church, please visit alivechurchoc.org. You can also follow us on your favorite social media platform by typing in Alive Church OC. Wonderful time and a wonderful season. I love praise and worship. Uh, just diving right in. What a wonderful presence of God. What a wonderful word, an offering message from Gwen. What fire that was. Man, if you're not moved by that, man, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. But speaking of moving, I'm going to shake the ground just a little bit this morning with you. And if I have any football fans in the house, just raise your hand a little bit, right? There's a couple, right? Maybe online. Yeah. So we had the Super Bowl just not too long ago. Who's excited about that? There's a, couple of, there's a couple of Chiefs fans in here I hear, obviously, right? I, <laughs> well, I got to tell you, I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan, and, and I've been a fan for quite some long time. And one of my favorite players on the team is Travis Kelsey. And Travis Kelsey is dating who? Yeah, everybody knows, Taylor Swift. Okay? And I'm going to share this with you, you know, just to put some perspective on the word today. So Taylor Swift, the, the people that follow Taylor Swift are known as Swifties right? And so you're a Swifty, and all of a sudden people are making fun of me, and they're calling them the Kansas City Swifties. That's like the new name of the, the team these days. And, and I'm like, wow, this is incredible. And I've been a fan for over 30 plus years, and my friends and the people I know are starting to call me Swifties. How does that work? Like, I've been a fan for over 30 plus years. Like, I've been alive almost as long as Taylor Swift, but even before she was born. So how was it, am I associated with a Swifty? I don't even know any of her songs. <laughs> I tell you that because there's a relation. I, I had a story that was similar to the same. I was talking to somebody the other day. And, you know, when you go small talk to somebody I just met, that we started talking about, and I said the word y'all. And if you know me, I probably say y'all here and there. And I probably say y'all five or ten times in this service. But I said the word y'all. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, you're from Texas. You're a cowboy. And, and so I'm like, okay, because I said the word y'all, you know, and I said, yes, I am from Texas. And I, and I agree with that portion of it. But he says, you're a cowboy. And I said, no, I'm not a cowboy. And then we get carried on the conversation and we started talking about like horses. And I was like, well, I like horses. I mean, my family actually were, cow, were, were cowboys. They were farmers, they were ranchers and we had horses and things of that nature. But I like horses too. And I could just see the wheels turning in this guy's head about the word y'all, about cowboy in Texas. And all of a sudden I don't know where he says, hey, did you guys ride horses to school? And I'm like, how old do you think I am? Like, like, how old do you think I am? I'm like, no, we didn't ride horses to school. But it's interesting when you take a look at this, you know, is, is that there are things that people say over a period of time, uh, things that you may have heard over a period of time in your life. Maybe your parents have said something to you um, that's been spoken over you. And so out of this conversation, out of some deductive reasoning, this guy was here putting all this together. And I don't know his background or his history or anything, but he starts listening to what I'm saying. And he hears the word y'all. And then he's like, oh, I have bow legs. You guys, I got bow legs. So I'm like the typical cowboy, right? I got bow legs. And, and anyway, so he puts all this stuff together and all of a sudden he comes to the conclusion of something that's completely off the mark. A false representation of who you are. Like I'm not a Swifty fan and I didn't ride horses to high school to go to school. But how did he come to that conclusion? Can anyone here relate to that? Have you ever been in that situation before? Do people know that you're a Christian? Do people know that there's a church here, a live church, and we're about to celebrate 11 years? Do people know that? 
We want the world to know who we are and what we stand for because the world is broken. The world's broken. We're going through an identity crisis. There's a fatherless generation that's out there. There's this thing about it's all about me, myself, and I, and what can I get for myself? You know, there's a lack of faith. There's a lack of respect for authority. And so you have all of these things going on, and God is looking for someone who will represent him. God is looking for someone who will represent him. He's not looking for outward things that are on the outside, like our favorite t-shirt or whatever, you know, football team that we root for. God is looking for the things that are on the inside of us, like our heart. He, he's looking for a remnant. He's looking for a people that will stand up and say, I'm going to stand for you, God. I'm going to stand on your word. I know your promises. I know what you say. God, they will come true. He's looking for people that will build a kingdom. That will, that will give and, and be a part of a culture that knows what the truth is. He's looking for a people that will worship him, that will love him. He's looking for a people that would just go out and share the good news, to speak the truth to somebody that's hurting, somebody that's in need. That's the people he's looking for. That's us. That's, that's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. So that whenever you do have conversations with somebody, they don't think that you're a Swifty or whatever it is your conversation is. But whenever you have a conversation with people, they will know that you are a representation of Christ. Yes. Amen? So God is looking for a people that will represent him. And that's the title of my message today. It says, who do you represent? Who do you represent? So I want to take a quick look here into 2 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 6. 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 6, and we'll put it up for you here. It says, are we beginning to praise ourselves again? Are we like others who need to bring you letters of recommendation or who ask you to write such letters on their behalf? Surely not. The only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ, showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. We are confident of all this because of the great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a new covenant, not of written laws, but of the spirit. The old covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, everyone say new covenant. New covenant. The spirit gives life. Amen? Amen. All right, so what is that saying? So, so the apostle Paul is here. He's talking to the Corinthians here, and he writes, in a, uh, writes a, a letter to them. And then the, there are false teachers and speakers that are there, and they're coming up to him, and they start questioning his authority about what he said, what he's done, how he walks, how he carries himself, what he says. And so they start questioning it, and it's probably because they had a lack of faith, right? They're going through identity crisis. Can, can that resonate with anybody? They weren't sure who they were in Christ. So what they did is they started carrying these forged letters, uh, you know, representing and saying that they had authority, like a piece of paper saying, hey, hey, check this out. Like I have this authority and I have, you know, what, what it needs to be done. I have it here written on a piece of paper. And so they're carrying these forged letters to, to authenticate their authority. And Paul like defends his ministry. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, I don't need a letter for, to, to defend my authority because the authority that I'm talking about here comes from Christ. It comes from God. So we don't need a piece of paper to tell us or for me to tell like who God is. I don't need that letter. And so 
you have to be careful here because Paul wasn't boasting. So don't get it twisted. Like he's talking about, oh, I did all this and I, I've already spoken to the people and this is who they are. It wasn't, he was just merely saying that they didn't need a letter. He said the people were the proof. He said the proof of the works was in the people, right? He says, so because the people are the proof and that's you, that's your testimony. So your testimony is a proof that God is alive, that God is working in your life, that God has done great things for you so that when you go out and tell your testimony, like pastor was just sharing and saying, that people will have an encounter with God. Amen? The paper isn't, the, the paper isn't, the proof, it's God who's the proof. And in how we live our lives should be the representation of Christ. Right. Turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor and tell him, say, you are the proof. You are the proof. You are the proof. And so why was Paul so sure of this? We already said it. Because he believed in the power of God. He believed in the power of God and through the spirit of the living God. So through the Holy Spirit, as he says. And then he reminds us who qualifies us. It's God, remember? Not the paper that they thought it was. It was God who qualifies. He was a messenger just to deliver the message and say, hey guys, you got it wrong. So not man or a piece of paper qualifies us to be the proof that we are. It's God who's done that and set that seed in you through your living testimonies, through you turning and saying, God, I want you. God, I need you. I need you to be a part of my life. God, I can't do this on my own. I need a higher power. And then when you surrender and when you yield to God, then he can start moving in your life then you know who he is. That's where the power comes from. And that's the proof that we have. Yes. Amen? Amen? Many of you may have heard this saying that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Right. It's so true. So think about that. Like your piece of paper, maybe some of you got, you know, doctorate degrees, master degrees, and whatever you might have. Like those are important for whatever you're going in that business, that sector, whatever. That might qualify you for that work. But God can put you in a position or whatever where you don't need a piece of paper. It don't matter if you got a degree. It doesn't matter how many likes that you have on the Instagram post. It doesn't matter what cert certification you got under your belt. If God wants you to do something and you yield to him and you surrender to him, God will put you in a place and put you in a position because God... God is the one that qualifies us. Yes. Amen? Amen? So what for? What do we want to be qualified for? To do what? It's to carry out the ministry of the new covenant. Yes. We got to carry out the ministry of the new covenant. And Pastor Susan mentioned this um, last week. She talked about the five covenants, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and the new covenant. And this new covenant is what we're talking about here because that is the promise, the agreement that God for God and his people so that we could come together so that we could be reunited with our father and we would know who he is. Amen? Amen. And under this new covenant, Jesus would die for our sins. And I think we all know this, right? That Jesus died for our sins. And so the Bible tells us when we take a look in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19, this is what it says. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Say, I'm a new person. I'm a new person. I, belong I belong to Christ. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. Hallelujah. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. He no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Amen. Amen. 
So it's reconciliation that jumped out to me. And this word, if you look at it in the Greek, it means an exchange or a restoration. So when we think about this exchange and a restoration, I could look at and use this example um, that Samuel was talking about the other day. He was talking about like a clay potter. And when you're doing pottery and you've, you're working and you're kneading and you're trying to build this sculpture and this thing that's really nice and beautiful, well, you keep working it and you're massaging it and you're starting patting it and you're working it and you're pressing it. And why are you doing that? You're pressing it and working it so that you can get all of the air out of it. Okay, and so you gotta work and you gotta keep working, you gotta keep molding, you gotta keep shaping to get all of the air out of it. And air in this situation is a bad thing because when there's a lot of air in it and you, and you, you don't get it all out, when, it, when it's put in the kiln or when it's put into the fire, yes. it will actually explode yeah. or crack or break, right? So that's this, this restoration, this exchange process, that's what we go through in our lives when God's molding us and shaping us and he's pressing us and working us so that we won't break or explode in situations in our lives. Amen? Amen. Or this restoration process could be like more uh, like a washing machine, if you think about it. A giant washing machine, what we're throwing in and we're being washed around or whatever, blotting out the, the, the stains in our life or the sins in our life to make us clean so that when we're clean, that we're made new. And this process, as painful as it is, is occurring every single day to our bodies. It's to help us. It's not to hurt us. We must understand that. And so this is part of the restoration process. And I'm just going to talk through a few things right here. Is the restoration process occurs, number one, in our heart. So it occurs in different parts of our body. I'm going to point out four of them here. But the restoration process, it starts in our heart. Okay. And Psalms 51.10, it says... Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Why? Why do we need a clean heart? Pastor Susan preached on this the other thing. What's the one thing? She said a pure heart. So having a pure heart, having a clean heart. Why? So that we would start thinking about others. So that we would have a heart for other people. That we wouldn't just be thinking about me, myself, and I, and my struggles and situation. And I know that they're real. You know, I'm not downplaying that. But to give us a clean and pure heart so that we would have a heart for others. That we would want to help other people. That we won't just walk by. That we would actually be like, I think somebody needs prayer. Or I see them struggling. That we would go pray for them. That we would be there for them. That we'd be a mentor for them. And that we would just share whatever we needed to share with them. But that will come through that clean heart that we have. Amen? And out of a clean heart, what we will see is we'll see the fruits of the Spirit. We'll see love come out and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of those things will come out as we have a clean heart and we're purified so that we can use all of those fruits of the Spirit to be able to speak to people. So that we can help transform their lives so they can taste the goodness that you and I have seen. Amen. Hallelujah. And to be humble through the heart, through the restoration process as God is working through our heart, it's to help to humble us so that we could acknowledge God, that it isn't on our own doing and our own things that we get where we get and we're going. It's through God. And so that we would have the fear of the Lord come back and understand that he is in control and it's not us that's in control of the situations. We must yield to him. We must decrease so that God can increase in our lives. Amen. Number two, the second part of the restoration process occurs in our mind. So number one, it occurs in our heart. Number two, it occurs in our mind. And if we look at Romans 8, 5, this is what it says. 
It says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Amen? So what the Spirit desires. So we were just talking about generational curses, what Gwen was talking about. You know, and a lot of times what we see is, is that you know, we don't think that we could do certain things, that we have this spirit of poverty that's over us, a spirit of lack that's over us, but that's not true. Those are generational curses and things, and so those are mindsets that have to be broken. And so through this, this restoration process, as we go through the washing machine and working, that's what God's working on us so that we can break out of those generational curses. We can break out of the thought process, break the thoughts of the mind, that poverty, we don't live in poverty, we live in abundance. Why would God not give us the abundance of the kingdom? That's who He is. We are His children. So God wants us to be able to have a sound mind. Amen. And lies. Lies. How many times have we listened to lies because of the things that the enemy tells you and takes you back to and incorporates in your mind, and all of a sudden you start to believe them? And if you believe them, then you're in a you're in a bad position. And I'll share this with you because there were some things like in in my uh, line of work, I was you know coming up for promotions over time, and you have to have certain qualifications and however much time. And during that time of promotions, I had some people coming. Well, you're not going to get it. You don't have enough this and you don't have enough that. And I'm like, okay, well, I submitted anyway. Came up again later on, tried to submit for a promotion in a certain area, had my package together, did all of the things, whatever. I was like, ah, you're probably not going to get it. You didn't have this and you don't have enough time. Well, guess what? I've been in the Marine Corps for over 20 years and I've been promoted over 10 different times and I got it. I got it. Not because of what I did, because of what I believe, and I know who's in charge, and that mindset, I could have easily said, you know what, you're right, and not submitted for the paperwork and not done the things I needed to do, but instead, I believe what God said. I believe in the power of God, right? I had a different mindset and a different thinking. I said, nah, that's not who my God is. I'm going to submit. I'm going to stand on his word because he's a God of abundance, and I am his child. I am his son, and that's where the mind could get you in a lot of trouble, but we've got to renew that, and that's part of that process uh, that we go through. And we must disassociate ourselves with old habits and old patterns. And I say that because our mind can trick us and put us in a position. If we don't have, uh, you know, clean thoughts, you know, we're not thinking about godly things and whatever it may be that we listen to the lies. And all of a sudden, we, we things of the past that come up. And all of a sudden, we start associating ourselves and reconnecting and picking up that old thing that we let go a long time ago. That's a lie. You got to let it go. So we got to disassociate it. And, what, and where that comes from is if you look at 2 Timothy 1 through 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Why? Because we need a sound mind so that we start declaring the things of God over our lives. We start declaring the things that are right in our lives. We start believing the things like, I am created the image and likeness of God. I'm not created in some animal. I'm not created to be whatever you want to call it to be this day that people think that they are. But I'm created in the image and likeness of God. That I am the head and not the tail. So I'm going to live in abundance. I'm not going to live in poverty or beneath whatever it may be. That I am a victor. That I'm not a victim of the circumstances and situation, but I'm a victor. I live victoriously because God has given us a victory in all that he's done. And God, that he is our father and he is our source. Amen. So the restoration process is good for us and it's going to help wash and shape and change our minds so that we have the right thinking and the right lens. Amen. So number three in the restoration process, number one, we started about the heart and then number two, we talked about the mind and number three, eyes. 
our eyes. So if we look at Matthew 6.22, this is what it says. It says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. Amen? Now, how dangerous can your eyes be? It could be pretty dangerous. Maybe some of you that go to the gym and work out, you might be looking at the gym. Are you going there to work out? Or are you looking at the wrong thing? Come on. I mean, can I be real? So your eyes can get you in trouble. And I'll use food as a relation. Some of us in this room like a lot of ice cream. I'm not going to name any names or point any fingers. But <laughs> if you see ice cream or dessert, you have a sweet tooth, and you look at that with your eyes, and all of a sudden your thoughts, your attention actually follows your eyes. You begin to stare at that thing. You begin to look at that thing. And you're like, mmm, that's so good. I'm going to have some of that. And it could lead you in the wrong direction. So this restoration process as we work, it helps shape our eyes and removes the veil so that we start to see the things of God and what he has for us. What are you watching on TV? How many hours do we spend a day or night or whatever on our phones or on Netflix watching things? I mean, old movies, movies that maybe have foul language in them, but as that stuff resonates and comes in and we let that through our eyes and we don't put that godly filter on them, that stuff can begin to corrupt parts of our body and or our whole being. Yeah. Amen? Amen? So we got to set our focus on godly things, that we need to start to see things through uh, God's lens, like an optimistic lens. Instead of maybe everything is against me and so pessimistic, let's flip the script and let's make it optimistic. Let's look at through, let's look at through the lens of what God says. God didn't say that we're down here. God says that we're up here. Yeah. Amen? We, got it. we were able to see when danger is coming, um, when things start to lurk. When you start to see through God, you start making decisions, you know, based upon what God says, where he tells you to go. You have that instinct, and you're like, I'm not going that direction, and I'm not going to do that. I see this coming. No, 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 I'm not going to do that. You're able to be able to see danger when it starts to come. So when the enemy starts to speak up, you already see him, and you're like, uh-uh, not today, Satan. And then you begin to see God start to move in your lives. And God's moving in your lives of others as the testimonies are coming out. And when you see that through the proper lens or whatever, that's, that's a beautiful thing. And that's where God wants us to be. Amen? Amen? And it's important that we have healthy eyes. That we have healthy eyes. And number four in the restoration process, number four is the mouth. So we talked about the heart, the mind, the eyes, and our mouth. Colossians 4, 6 says this. It says, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Amen? Now, I'll tell you, like, all four of these things are all tied together, right? So once you start to see something and you let that, whatever you're looking at come in, you know, what, you know whatever anger might be building up because something happened on some of your favorite TV show, and then that comes in and you start let that go over, and then your mind starts thinking about it, and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, you start talking, you start blurting out things. Maybe you're watching stuff that has a lot of foul language, and next thing you know, out comes your mouth, a curse word. And you're like, where did that come from? Where did that come from? Ultimately, everything comes from our heart. So our mouth is super important in this because it carries out what's in our heart. And what is said and what is spoken is powerful. And, it can, and in, it, in situations, it can really derail somebody. It can put them down. And maybe our old ways of talking to some of us, that's the way that we were talked to when we were young. And that's the way we incorporated. But the good news is, is you don't have to stay there because God's already cleansed you. God's already washed you. And then this process here, he's changing the way that you think. He's changing the way that we talk so at the end that we could be more like him. We got to seek to understand 
before seeking to be understood. My brother Jermaine said that the other day. We're talking, seek to understand before seeking to be understood. Now, I know you're, you're taking that in. You're thinking, well, that has to do with hearing. And that's true. It, it has all of it to do with it. So if we look in James 1.19, it says to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And this is so important to seek to, be under, uh, seek to, be un, to understand before seeking to be understood. As we slow down and we listen to what people have to say, then we can comprehend that. And as we have a cleansed mind and a cleansed heart and we're understanding what they're saying, then we would have a right response for our mouth it comes out. Now that we have encouraging words, now we have words that edify people and bring them up and says, this is who you are. Amen? Amen. So the restoration process, again, as difficult as it might be sometimes for us to surrender and go to God and cleanse us and go through this, it's all for the goodness of you so that we can be edified and brought to a new level. Amen? Amen? Why? It's not just for me. It's not just for you. It's so that we can go out right, out of these walls, right, during this season and this time, well, really all of our lives, and share the good news and tell God and tell the people who God is, let them know who Jesus is. And again, your testimonies are going to be the thing that comes out so you can share that with them. So not only did Jesus die for our sins, right, Jesus died for our sins. Are we, do we believe that? A couple of us, we all, right, Jesus died for us, right? That he took our place, but in the scripture I read earlier, he, he commands us to do something. This is a great revelation I had with, with the scripture because I look back in verse 18 and then talking about this reconciliation. I must have overlooked this for the years that I've read over this thing, right? And you know how the Bible is. You'll read a passage like 55 times and you're like, I never saw that before, right? So this jumped out at me and it said back in verse 18, it says, God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Amen? So, so it was interesting that it jumped out to me because they think of the reconciliation process as God is working on us. And that's true. He is working on us and cleansing us so that we can be more uh, like him, that we have a better character. But also it says that God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. So it's our job and our duty to do something, to bring people to him so that he can start the cleansing process. Amen? So that when we look at it, it's not our job to do the washing Right? It's our job to do the bringing. Right? When you do, right? We take, when we take dirty laundry, we just bring it, we take it, we put it in the, the, you know, in the washing machine, right? And the washing machine does the washing. So this is a command, a task right here that we're supposed to be going out and bringing people for the reconciliation. So we bring them to God, to Jesus, so that he can wash them clean. Amen? It's just our job to bring the people. So what does that mean? That's our assignment, right? That's our mission, if you choose to accept it. It's like a Mission Impossible movie. But you better choose to accept it because that's what you're called to do. Who wants to accept this assignment? Who wants to reconcile people back to God? Who wants to go out and represent God in everything that you do, how you walk and how you talk? Amen? Let's go. It's our duty to go out and evangelize and share the good news to bring people to Christ. That's it. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Do you remember the proof of your testimony? Remember I was talking about the proof that the Apostle Paul was talking about? They thought it was these, you know, this piece of paper. And no, the proof is you. You are the proof. Your testimony is the proof. You're the ones. By the Holy Spirit is written not on the letter or piece of paper like I said, but it's written on your hearts right there. So we are the proof. We are the ones that need to go out. We're the ones that are supposed to go and share the good news because the testimonies that we have are what God did in our lives. Amen? Yes. 
We are the representation of Christ. If we look at 2 Corinthians 5.20, and if you're looking for a title or a billet, well, here you go. So you can have a full understanding of what we're talking about. And it says this. It says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. God is looking for someone who will represent him. God is looking for an ambassador. He is looking for an ambassador, and that's who you are. You are an ambassador for Christ. You are an ambassador for Christ. You are an ambassador for Christ. And so are you. And all of you watching online, you are an ambassador for Christ. God is looking for an ambassador. Repeat after me. Say, I am an ambassador for Christ. Hallelujah. So when we talk about the word ambassador, I think that most of us think politically, I, I do, because that's maybe where you heard it all your life, what an ambassador is. So if you think about what ambassador is, I'll use it for this frame of reference. Um, it's actually a president's highest ranking representative who represents his or her own government while living in another country. So I'll use the states, the United States for an example. The president will have somebody, nominate somebody to be an ambassador that would go and live in another country for a duration of maybe like three years or whatever the, the, the terms are for that piece. That person that lives in the country is a, is a member, is a citizen of the United States, but is representing the United States in that foreign land. Does that make sense? So they have roles and responsibilities associated with that. But if we look at our kingdom mindset of who we are, we can see this up. So here's the kingdom version of what an ambassador is. It says, God's appointed a representative. That's us, right? An ambassador to represent his kingdom while living on earth. Right? Does that make sense? Okay, well, there's some roles and responsibilities to be an ambassador. And again, I'll go back to the political realm. We'll kind of go one by one here so we get a full understanding. The, the roles and responsibilities of an ambassador, number one, is to ensure the security of the state citizens living in, in the receiving country. I know it sounds a little confusing, but what it means is an ambassador is there to help with the security of the people that are going to come over there. So any, any um, uh, members of the United States, any citizens here that go to that foreign country and there's an ambassador, it's their job to help make sure that there's a security system set in place so that when the people are there, they have protection. Yeah. Amen? Amen? But if I were to look at the kingdom role of this, and this is you and I as ambassadors, it says we are to build and maintain strong relationships with others. I'm, I'm sorry, I'll back up. I got ahead of myself. To ensure the security of our salvation while living on earth. So if, if an ambassador is there and a political set is there for the security of the people, our job is to ensure the security of the salvation of people while they're living on earth. The second role of an ambassador would be to seek to build and maintain strong diplomatic and economic ties with the foreign nations to build and maintain strong economic ties. So they're there to help with the economics and, and things like that. So they have communication with, with uh, each other to make those ties. But in the kingdom as us, for ambassadors, our job and role and responsibility is to build and maintain strong relationships with others. Amen. Why? So that we can build the kingdom, right? That we can make this army, that we can come together, that we have relationships, that we can fellowship with each other. Amen. 
And the third thing here is just administer all the affairs of the embassy. And I believe that's just a, whatever uh, things that need to go on to help represent the country, uh, our country there. Make sure there's things established and safe that, you know, an ambassador is there to help administer all of those administrative activities and duties and stuff. And that would relate that to us. If we put that hat on as a kingdom representative of an ambassador, it would be that we would be able to administer all the affairs of what God calls us to do. Not some of them, but all of the affairs that he calls us to do for his kingdom. Amen. So that means if God calls you and says, I need you to serve in the usher ministry, then that's what you need to do. You need to serve in the usher ministry. If God calls you to be on the stage and the sing, then you need to come to leadership and maybe that's your place of duty. But that's what we're supposed to do. And if he wants you to pray, he wants you to give. That brings all glory and honor to him. This is our duty and our responsibilities as ambassadors for Christ, that we ensure the security and salvation of the people while living on this earth, that we build and maintain strong relationships with others and that we would administer everything that the kingdom of God, that God wants us to do at our time here on earth. Yes. Amen. Amen. Amen? And it's interesting when you think about the political setting, this is a revelation I had too, is, is that if you look at the political setting of it and I were to go to another country, you're bound by a bunch of laws. We're bound by what we can and can't do with the government and, where, and what their laws are over there and there's a fine line and jostling and working. But when you're in the kingdom of God, you're not bound by any laws. You are bound by God, and God will open up the windows of heaven for you. God will open up the things that you didn't think were going to open up, and God will make a way when you didn't think there was going to be a way made. We are not bound by limitations. We serve a limitless God who could do anything. Amen? Yeah. There's a few examples of ambassadors when we look through the Bible. I mean, there's a whole list of them, but a couple of them. Let's think about Moses. Moses, when I talk about security of our salvation and looking after us, Moses was like, I'm going to Pharaoh. I'm going to go to Pharaoh again. I'm going to go to Pharaoh again. I'm going to go to Pharaoh again. And he kept going to Pharaoh over and over and over again because he wanted his people to be set free. He was looking out for their security, for their salvation, for their safety. He's like, Pharaoh, you will let my people go. I'm going to keep coming after you because God said it and I'm going to do it. Joshua. The spies, Joshua sent some spies to Jericho. The walls of Jericho didn't come down and didn't happen without the spies that went over there. But when I talk about this here, I'm more looking at the relationships. And because of the spies that went over there, they made a relationship with somebody by the name of Rahab. And Rahab was a prostitute, right? But God used her in this situation, whatever, to let go of the secrets and the things so that they can go in. And ultimately, the walls of Jericho fell down because of a relationship. What an ambassador. And lastly, uh, the Apostle Paul. He's, he's written almost, you know, the whole New Testament there. What an ambassador for Christ. He had an encounter with God, and he knew who he was, and he changed his life for him, that he administered all affairs. In fact, he administered so much that he was still preaching the gospel while he was in prison chains. Well, maybe you think like, well, I don't know how to be an ambassador. I'm telling you you're an ambassador, and I'm going to help you. Amen. So let's take a look at Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17. Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 17. I have it up here for you. It says this. It says, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in this heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor. Say, I'm going to put on God's armor. 
so that you will be able to, to resist the enemy in time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Say, I will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith. Stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Amen. Amen. So how do we equip ourselves to be an ambassador for Christ? How do we equip ourselves? It says right here in the scripture, number one, we've got to put on the belt of truth. you got to put on the belt of truth. What is the belt of truth? Who is the belt of truth? Jesus is the belt of truth. In John 14, 6, it says this. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is the belt of truth. There are some things that he mentions here. He says, first, it says Jesus is the way, right? Because he's the only path, the only way back to the Father to reconcile you with him. He was both God and man. So Jesus is the way to the Father. He, Jesus is the truth. Brings the reality of God's promises that happen. Jesus is the life. He was both divine, right? Joined our life with his. Amen we got to go to Jesus. We need to surrender our lives. We must yield to him all, not some, but all, so that we can declare that he's the Lord of our life, everything in it, from our finances to whatever it is, you name it, that he is Lord of all. If we don't go to him, then all we're saying is that Jesus died for nothing. If you want to be saved, forgiven, reconciled to God, Jesus is the answer. To be an answer, uh, ambassador for Christ, we must put on the belt of truth. We must go to Jesus if we want to be an ambassador for Christ. Amen? Amen? Number two, how do we equip ourselves to be an ambassador? How do we equip ourselves to be an ambassador? Number two, put on the body armor of God's righteousness. Put on the body armor of God's righteousness. And God's righteousness is like God's approval, that, that we are right in his eyes. So we need to put that on so that we remember who we are. That we remember who we are. So when the storms and the seasons of life that are difficult and they come up, we have God's righteousness on. That's our body armor. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. It says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. There's an exchange there. There was a price to be paid. An immeasurable amount of price that was put on that exchange where Jesus went to the cross and died for all of our sins. There's no amount of money that can ever, ever, ever touch that. And sometimes I think we get confused because we look at like an exchange process like the barter system, like we're exchanging money for some goods and services. But no amount of money can help with this exchange. This is an exchange where you've got to go to God and you've got to say, I need help. I need to be put on the body armor of God's righteousness. And how do I get there? How do I be an ambassador? We've got to go to God. We've got to go to Jesus. Amen? Righteousness is given to us at our conversion. So when we accept them in there, righteousness starts to come upon us, right? We're seeing through God's eyes and we work through that reconciliation process. And when we put on God's righteousness, what we're saying is we're saying, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. 
I believe in you, and I believe on what you say is true. To be an ambassador for Christ, we must put on the body armor of God's righteousness. Number three, how do we equip ourselves to be an ambassador? Number one, we have to put on the belt of truth. Number two, we have to put on the body armor of God's righteousness. And number three, we have to put on the shoes of peace. You got to put on the shoes of peace. And what I equate this for is standing firm. Is to put on the shoes of peace is to be able to stand firm. And those of you that have watched National Geographic, I don't know, you watch National Geographic, Wild, Animal Wild, what are, the, what are all the other ones that are out there? All the shows that you see the wild animals, Animal Kingdom, right? Animal Planet, right? So that you see all of these shows and then you ever seen the ones where you see the giant cliffs there and there's a big gorge, but there's these huge cliffs and you look in there and you, like, you see this deer and it's like standing on the side of the cliff and you're like, how in the world did that thing get up there? Right? And you're like, there's this little deer just standing there and just sure-footed. If I was up that high, Lord knows I don't like the roller coasters or anything that high anymore, but I would have 75 straps. I would have a helmet on. I will be chained. I will be bubble wrapped. Like, I, like, please help me if I ever get up that high. But this little deer, these little deer, they're just sitting up there and hanging up there. And I thought it was interesting. So when we look at Psalms 18.33, this is what it says. It says, he makes me as sure-footed as a deer enabling me to stand on mountain heights. That's God. That's the shoes that I'm talking about, the shoes of peace. It's God who can anchor us and gives us the ability to stand in high places, to be able to stand on the cliff and the mountain when the hurricanes and they come. It's the peace of God. It's the shoes of peace that he gives us. So no matter the circumstances you face and whatever you go through, the rough roads, the mountains, when you have the shoes of peace on, it's God who's taking you there. It's God who's walking with you. Amen? To be an ambassador for a Christ, we must put on the shoes of peace. Must put on the shoes of peace. Number four, how do we equip ourselves to be an ambassador? Number four is carry the shield of faith. We got to have the shield of faith. Now, I'm not talking about you uh, movie buffs, you Avenger fans, you know. I'm talking about the shield of faith, God's shield of faith. In Psalms 3.3, it says this. Psalm 3, she says, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. Amen? So when circumstances come against us, when the world seems to be falling apart around us and things are happening, we don't know what's going on, God is for us. He is always for us. He has, he's the shield of faith. God will protect you in all that you're going through, no matter what you're facing and what circumstances are coming up. God is our shield of faith. Amen? And he will never leave us nor forsake us. He will guard us during trials and attacks. And remember that he always makes a way. We said it in John 14, 6. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So to be an, an ambassador for Christ, we must carry the shield of faith. We must go to his word. We must wrap ourselves and clothe ourselves with him so that he can protect us. Amen? How do we equip ourselves to be an ambassador? Number five, we must put on the helmet of salvation. What's a helmet good for? Protection, right? You ride a motorcycle out there, you better put on a helmet for some protection. You get on the high cliff like that little deer, you might want to put on a helmet of protection up there in case something happens, right? But we must put on the helmet of salvation for our protection. 
If we look at Romans 12, 2, this is, what, this is what the Bible says. It says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is that protection I'm talking about, because if you're conformed to the world and you're not renewed and transformed by the renewing of your mind through God, you're missing the piece of the puzzle. You're missing the helmet of the salvation that God gave you. Amen? We're supposed to live in this world, which we do, but we don't live of the world. The world could be selfish, corrupting, and it goes deeper than that, that we, that we don't just, behaviors and choices and the things that we make, that that helmet of salvation, that's our protection to help us to be firmly planted and rooted in what God says. So to be an ambassador for Christ, we must put on the helmet of salvation. And finally, number six is how do we equip ourselves to be an ambassador? We must use the sword of the Spirit. We must use the sword of the Spirit. We must use the sword of the Spirit. Those of you uh, that like Star Wars or whatever, call it a lightsaber. I don't know. But whatever it is, we got to use the sword of the Spirit or the lightsaber, which is what? It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God that we have to, that we have to use the Word of God. That's our weapon. That's our weapon. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And I love it that the word, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And it talks about joint and marrow. And any of those of you that cook or have ever cooked in your life and you see uh, butchering and quartering of animals and you got you to gotta cut them up, they got to cut through bones and joints and ligaments or chicken or whatever that we're doing, that it can be difficult. And you take your knife at home and as sharp as it may be, you got to apply a lot of pressure. And you might have to start working a lot to cut through that meat and cut through those joints and stuff because they're, they're strong and they're thick and they're, they, they hold things together. The elasticity there makes it difficult for a knife sometimes to cut through. But the Word of God, it says, is sharper than a two-edged sword. It's the Word of God that can cut through any of the things that we think are the strongest things in the world that can't be broken, it can't be penetrated. That's what the Word of God does. The Word of God can cut through anything sharper than a two-edged sword. It is our weapon. The Word of God reveals who we are and who we're not. It penetrates the core of our moral and spiritual life. It discerns what is within us. The demands of God's word require decisions. Sometimes it requires difficult decisions. But we must not only listen to the word, we must let it shape our lives. We must allow God's word in that renewing, that restoration process. We must allow his word to shape and change our lives because we all have a purpose that there's a call in our lives that as we yield and we surrender to God and we say, God, have your way in my life and you surrender all and you say, God, through this reconciliation process, I'm gonna be like you. I'm gonna be creating the image like you, God, of who you call me to be. And God, I wanna go out and I wanna be an ambassador for you, God. I wanna be ambassador for Christ because what I have and what you've done for me, it isn't enough. There are people out there that need us. There are people out there that need to hear our testimony. There are people that need to know where we walked and what we've been through. They need us, and people need you. They need you to be an ambassador. They need you to share the good word, the good news. They need you to be the proof. They need you to be the testimony. 
To be an ambassador of Christ, we must use the sword of the Spirit. To be an ambassador of Christ, there are six ways, there are six ways that we equip ourselves to be an ambassador for Christ. I'm going to go over them one more time for you. Number one, we got to put on the belt of truth. Number two, put on the body armor of God's righteousness. Number three, we got to put on the shoes of peace. Number four, carry the shield of faith. Number five, put on the helmet of salvation. And number six, we got to use the sword of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Who wants to be an ambassador for Christ? Who wants to go out and share the good news and share your testimony? Who wants to be the proof? I'm going to invite you to stand on your feet. Let's begin to worship the Lord. Come on, Alive Church. Let's be a representation for God's kingdom. Let's go out. Let's be ambassadors for Christ. Let's go out and share the good news. And let's not live in fear. Let's stand out in faith. Let's jump out and stand on God's word. Let's do what we're called to do, to be the kingdom bearers, to be the ones that go out, the ambassadors, God, the ones that bring people, God, to have an encounter with you, God, to, to, to meet you, God, to come to your house, God, people that need healing, God, people that need deliverance, God. Lord, let us share the news in this season, God. Let's bring them to the house, God, so that they can be washed clean, God. In the mighty name of Jesus, hallelujah.